Definitely did see movement in the main part of the craft. Strange looking creatures were moving around inside, said Reme. They looked inside and looked under stress. They moved fast and they were able to will themselves from one position to another in an instant. They were shadowy and expressionless, but definitely living beings. This from the Trinity UFO crash article. It's Sunday, October 9th, 2002. Excuse me, 2022. <laughs> We've been going back in time. 2022, I'm Doug, and this is Dr. Bill joining us again this week. How's it going, Bill? Hey, how are you? It's 2022, Bill. 2022. So we're discussing a newspaper yeah. article from 2003, so it's close. That was close. So um, would you sent this to me. Or, yep. Is that where I got it? Yeah, I sent it where to did you. This come, where did this come from? I mean, this is an article. 1945, this happened. Um, August 20th to August 25th, 1945, an operation by the U.S. military to recover a crashed UFO near San Antonio, New Mexico, uh, which yeah, was... To, uh... 20 miles southeast of the Trinity site. So this is the Trinity UFO crash. And it's um, important to note that these incidents happened around, you know, the time that we, you know, developed the atomic bomb. This, I mean, this was just August 6th was the atomic bomb, right? August 6th was Hiroshima. August 9th was Nagasaki. And this crash occurred uh, 10 days, 11 days later. So this goes into the theory that, you know, all these sightings and things have, um, revolve around our development of nuclear weaponry. I mean, we've talked about this many times. I mean, but there's more and more crashes, it seems, in the area. I mean, this is only one of a few incidents that happened, all along with, of course, Roswell in 47. Right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, they give it virtually, what's interesting is they give the crash, and I wanted to mention, because the reason I read that excerpt is that they moved about at, seemingly at will, like, there's, you know, they're at one spot, and it's like they're stating that they move, they would, like, disappear real quick, and re that's the vision I get when they talk about mm -hmm. moving quickly and seemingly at will, so I'm wondering, I always wonder about time dilation and that kind of thing. You know, when we're, I got to go back to Identified Flying Objects, the book that I'm reading. You know, they talk about that type of thing, you know, with the with the craft, you know, with being the, able to come and go. The trans, temporals, trans, trans temporals. Uh, extra tempestrials. Extra <laughs> Now I don't know if these are. I'm. Yeah, I'm kind of torn because they're stating that these were small beings, and uh, many times they say they have four fingers instead of five. They don't well, have don't, a thumb. Well, you don't need. You know. Well, I don't. You don't need. You don't need a thumb. Well, the thumb maybe is just handy, one but of your, you don't. You don't yeah. need. You don't need your pinky or pinky is extraneous. So we're thinking maybe that so, 
you know, maybe that's the one that dropped off. Yeah. So that would be a, you know, that, that could be something that, that could, could be, be a lost. Possibility, or you if know. you're, if you're bioengineering, why, you know, why just get rid of it? Yeah. You don't need it. It saves on function. the function. Well, if you're making gloves and use less material. And, that's right. You know, it, so it's a whole industry has been saved. Are you starting time. to buy in the, these are us from the future? Bill? No, you know, these yet. aren't. The not book yet. describes the fact that we to travel across space, we would have to, you know, it's hundred. You'd have to have generations of people to get to the next solar system. You not know necessarily, I mean? not necessarily, because of time well, dilation. And if you have a ship that can do constant acceleration, travel between the stars is perfectly feasible. The only limit to it is the the travelers will have slower time but time will travel you know at the normal pace so you travel to alpha centauri it's going to take i don't remember how long it is you travel to alpha centauri it takes six light years or whatever it is but the ship could do it in a month so it's like the there theoretically it is it is possible for but time when you dilation. get back all your people will be dead and yeah. you'll have regular time yeah so, and, we don't but, care about that though really i guess but yeah i mean it's uh, so the the that interesting how do they do it in a month i mean how fast that's more than light speed isn't it uh they're not traveling any faster than light but there's time dilation so the faster you you the closer you get to the speed of light the slower time moves for you right so you for you only a month or whatever the speed you're going at causes it to be only a month ago by but normal time you know earth six years ago by so you can't travel any faster than light takes to travel between stars but for the people on the ship time is slowed down and they can they can you know you can travel within you know reasonable periods of time if you can do that well they just need to we don't obviously have the technology for propulsion i mean i I, well, what the book is stating is that it's not, you know, you'd have to have generations of people to make it. I mean, they, 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 this guy disagrees with, uh, I don't know I, if he's talking about technology. Uh, he's, he's not just, even talking about technology today to even do this. It's technology of well the future. into the future. He disagrees with Einstein. Well, he, he quotes, he cites Einstein in various areas in there like i said it's like reading a textbook so it's slow going but you know he's i mean it can be done he talks about you know we're talking about the fermi paradox and the, the other one and um i don't know it just seems like he doesn't subscribe he says if you take generations of people you know yeah and you know to you have you're making your own you're making children which are you know to, tr to travel families between. yeah yeah you're just it, it, and a hundred thousand years from now you make it so it's like it's unless you're traveling bizarre. A, i mean i have uh i have a paper in one of the books up here which lays out the the time dilation and the travel time between stars and stuff. i'm not i'm not going to pull it down so he's looking at one viewpoint, but he, time will, I mean, if you travel to the core, the center of the universe, it's, um, I can't remember, 30,000 light years. So you can travel, if you're traveling 
at a constant acceleration, you can travel to the core of our galaxy in your lifetime and come back. But, you know, it'll take you is this 60... light speed. No, you're this... traveling. You're, you can't travel faster than light. This is just constant, right. constant acceleration. It slows time down for you. And you can actually travel to the center of the universe and back in your lifetime. But 60,000 years would travel, would pass on your earth. Now there's a great book, a series of books called by Larry Niven called, oh, I can't remember the name. Ah, anyway, but there's a great book by, written by the great science fiction writer when we used to have science fiction writers. And he, um, he wrote a, a book about a guy that um, was given a mission for a, um, you know, he was frozen and then he woke up and he was, uh, they transferred his consciousness to a younger body or something because he was, had cancer and he was frozen. And they said, well, you know, you're, um, uh, people from the past are more durable for this type of thing. And he was supposed to man a uh, ram ship ram scoop and do like explorations for this in, in this government on earth right and once he got the ship going he was like screw this i'm going to the galactic core and yeah. uh they couldn't do anything because he was you know he was it was his ship so he went to the galactic core and he came back to earth like sixty thousand years later and uh, the whole story is about his experiences exploring you know sort of a post-apocalyptic world uh, it's a good book, really good book. But it's theoretically you can do that. The problem is, is that the RAM, there's people who come up with papers that you can't, uh, there's technical difficulties with using a, a RAM scoop, which is what Larry Nevin was talking about. But theoretically, it is possible to travel great distances in a human lifetime within our galaxy using constant acceleration. So the... the oh, Einstein... He figured out there could be wormholes too, right? Wasn't he one of the ones that came up with the wormhole theory? I don't know. I don't know. That's sounds more, a, like, more a like a equation. Hockey. Yeah, there was some weird equation in there that he came up with that you know there could be wormholes. You know, kind of like contact or Stargate is a good example of something that could be done. Well, I don't want to say could be done. So it's theorizes could be done. And I, I um, think, yeah, I think that's that stuff is is theoretically possible so i mean he, so i mean that might be the the way that has been done what in, in what we're seeing or what's being seen as we're saying but what's being seen these things are coming through wormholes or they can bend space that's the yeah. other thing where you the example where you take the you take the paper and bend it in half and poke the pencil through it and that's, that's the that's you know the that's it you know the universe whatever so i don't know i mean they could come from there i guess wormholes is a possibility constant acceleration is a possibility and basically you could also have if you're talking about slower slower moving craft if it's not technically feasible you could have like micro spacecraft which just have um 3d printers in it and uh, Scott Sigler's book on uh, his pandemic books talk about that. And it's a great story where you have these like micro things that just fall into the atmosphere and then they just start replicating and they create um, 
like an infection that leads to it's a great story scott sigler is one of the he's he is a real yeah. science fiction writer and it's the whole thing is about these um it's a way to transport across space and so these things grow in people take the people over and they build like a uh, portal so these aliens can invade the earth and it's a it's a great story so there's a possibility you said microsatellites to um let me i got a cough you said microsatellites the various solar systems and then they basically just um if they discover life they just reprogram the existing life and take it over or build uh nano machines that could build other machines that could uh, 3d print uh little people with three fingers and no thumbs <laughs> four it's four four fingers the um, pointy fingers and they're not very tall either yes they're well that saves on the printing cost the um i should say that the this article the new mexico ufo crash in 1945 i read about it in the book called trinity the best kept secret by jacques Vallee and paolo leo pisa harris and that i'm reading that i'm about two-thirds of the way through that and then i also pulled this uh this news article that was written in the um, mountain mail in socorro new mexico oh there's the spelling which i was looking for and um 2003 11 to 2003 by ben moffett and ben moffett knew these two guys that discovered this uh, crash when they were 11, 10 and seven and riding, uh, riding the fences on their, uh, one of the kids, uh, they leased land from the Bureau of Land Management to raise cows. And the dad worked, yeah. the dad worked for the army, it's 1945. So the 10 year old kid and the seven year old kid are riding the fences and repairing the fences. And they were looking for a um, cow that was gonna calf yeah and one of the things that they said in the book that's not in this article is that when they came on the crash they heard a, like a screaming which sounded like um a rabbit's you know a rabbit's scream yeah right yeah rabbit they cry. Yell, yeah and they could yeah. hear they could hear that and these these people or whatever they were and they said they looked they thought they might be they looked like children were like moving back and forth in that weird way that that they described and they were making this high-pitched wailing noise so um as padilla and who is nine and baca who was seven yeah so so they see these things they see this wreck and as a you know there's an artist depiction of the wreck later on down the article that they said is dead on to what they saw their side of the crafts ripped open the craft has a hump on them. I mean, it looks like a cockpit mm -hmm. on the top. Yeah. And um, they have these beans in there. And I know we were always trying to surmise, are these things clones? You know, are they clones? Are they sentient? What are they? You they're, know, They're 3D printed. Uh, beans. 3D printed image, you images. Know, things. Well, um, I, I complain about that. I guess I complain about the Fermi paradox. And the simplest solution to the Fermi paradox is that they're already here. Yeah. You know, everyone goes, well, what about the Fermi paradox? Well, you know, they're already here is the simplest solution.
What's the description of the Fermi paradox again? Fermi paradox is Fermi was just saying, given that the age of the universe, even traveling at sublight speeds, it is possible to explore the galaxy. And, and, you know, it's possible if a civilization developed itself in the core, in the center of the universe, in 4 billion years, they should have been able to explore every star in the galaxy. So just give it, even if, if you do the calculation, number of stars, uh, travel time, whatever it is, 4 billion years is a, a huge amount of time. Just take, you could even take half a million. Yeah, half a million? Half a billion. And, uh, or half a million, 500,000 years. You should be able to explore the entire galaxy using whatever traveling even if they traveled very slow so it's not so much you're talking five hundred thousand years or you're time. talking so a billion years goes... or a billion yeah. years they should be here already and so so fermi was like well where are they given that simple calculation what's possible in the amount of time that's happened they should already be here and they're not but I mean, that, that's one of the, that raises a question that then people go, well, you know, then we're probably the only life in the universe then, which is absurd. And there are a lot of uh, special circumstances for life evolving on, on Earth. I mean, we got this moon that keeps the atmosphere under, you know, it's, they say, I don't know if it's true, they say that the moon reduced our atmosphere to, so we don't have something like Venus. Um so our moon is a reason for that. And otherwise we'd have a, an atmosphere like Venus, which is all, you know, a soupy CO2 thing. Well, plus you'd crush, I mean, it would crush an auto, I guess the atmosphere is such that yeah, it would crush real. a via car. I mean, it, they, they, the Russians, I watched something, uh, the universe the other day and the Russians have sent a few yeah. craft to Venus for whatever. It's weird. Yeah. For whatever in reason. Six, they, in the sixties. And I'm like, why did they send it to Venus? I mean, why not Mars? I don't know. It's bizarre. I think they did both. I think they sent to Mars and to, to Venus. So we left some trash on Mars, too. But Mars is a less, less significantly less hostile atmosphere and environment yeah. than Venus. So I don't know why they would put their efforts on. I mean, if you're going to go somewhere to, you know... To be able to stay, I think Mars, like we're doing today, we're exploring. Mars is a reasonable reasonable option. The uh, I I watched a uh, NASA news conference recently, and one of the reporters asked these the panel, whoever they were, if they would speculate on whether or not there was life on Mars, and they all just laughed. (laughs) And I'm like, why are they laughing? Yeah, I'm like, why are they laughing? I mean, there's good evidence. And they're like, well, you're talking we're talking microbial at this point, though, right? Yeah, well, they're talking, they're saying, well, and that's the question. There's good evidence that there is probably microbial life currently on Mars. And uh, I don't know why they laughed. Uh, but do you pass, think there, there was ever be... a, a civilization on Mars? Mm, no. But I don't know enough to actually give that answer a. Logic, yeah. Well, no, we don't a reasonable. I mean, I don't know anything. enough. I don't. I don't know enough to say. Say. I'm def, def, I say. Pro, like, I would. Yeah. 
you're thinking like a you're a PhD. I'm just thinking That's like right. a, a dreamer. No, no, <laughs> you're, um, you're it's no. gonna be no, I don't think so. No. And I'm gonna be like, I think there could because no. it looks like there was watershed, and you know, there's evidence that there was water in much higher, which doesn't mean there's but where the, I mean, doesn't automatically mean that there's life because there's water, but it could be a greater chance that there was something there. But and and you know how things will look after millions of you know, hundreds of thousands of years, even. This Earth, if we didn't had no life left on it, what would things look like in a hundred thousand years? You know, and maybe they had nuclear war of some kind, and you know, but you know, obviously there would be you'd have to dig or something to find any evidence, and we're not there yet. Well, here's a you I know? have I have my new um, Mars atlas, and this guy says Henrik Hargitay. He says, uh, "How new is that?" Is uh, that it's from... twenty twenty one twenty two. Oh wow! He comes out with this every year. He's in Hungary, and he says um, its surface looks lifeless. But we should remember that the lands on Earth were also lifeless and likely dusty until aquatic organisms colonized it. Only around half a billion years ago. The Martian landscape has many similarities to early and perhaps future Earth. Future Earth, yeah. Yep. So, uh, I don't know the history of of Mars and when, because they obviously had rivers and, and water flowing on the surface and stuff like that. I would definitely say at one point Mars had life. And there is... I don't know. Our, our science, our scientists are very weird about sort of proclaiming that the possibility of, of life elsewhere. I think it just, I don't know. There's no evidence, but we are seeing yeah. evidence of water in other solar systems. And it used to be thought that water was, was really rare and special to earth. And it's not, it's waters everywhere. There's water on Mars. There's water on the moon. There's there's, there's water, water on other moon of moons, other moons. Of some, in our solar system. There's that one moon and, that's that's all water with a crust of they yeah. think there might actually be life on it because there's a crust of of, of frozen ice around it and underneath it they yeah. think the water may be liquid with geothermal uh, activity allowing for you know life to live survive just like the the sulfur vents in the ocean here. Yeah. But so but these, at what point is there oxygen? I mean, you need plant life, right? Um, comes first? No, oxygen, plants, oxygen, plants oxygen, not going to live. Oxygen is secondary to life. Yeah. So oxygen so came plants later. Plants come first, and then oxygen. Well, no, bacteria put... like they the older older bacteria and stuff don't use oxygen, and oxygen's a poison to to it. So when when um, uh, there was actually in in our history of our planet when plants evolved there was like a collapse you can see it in the the strat stratigraphic history when oxygen came into the atmosphere there's like an explosion of oxygen because of the explosion of plants producing oxygen there was uh, a rust layer that came out and you can see it in the stratigraphic geologic history yeah the and, layers and Oxygen is is a uh, is 
is toxic basically and it causes uh, uh, once you develop the ability to produce oxygen it's a great defensive mechanism and then you have so you had the plants first they developed a defensive mechanism i'm sure there's a lot of people are going to slam me for my <laughs> hand wavium at this point you're a scientist bill you should yeah. you know about these this is fact well the, the more i learn the more i learn what i don't know so the um <laughs> So oxygen I'm sure will be, I'm sure we'll be reminded of that. Yeah. So the oxygen came out and then you had, um, um, it was toxic and you had like animals developed or bacteria developed that could use the oxygen, which caused for and oxygen to cause an increased, um, metabolic rate. So if we didn't so when, use o oxygen, we'd have a really slow metabolic rate. So if we, um, Okay, so plants came first before the oxygen, and then they produce oxygen. Plants produce oxygen, and it was a can we defensive, so if you, well, it's an it's a way to make uh, energy, but it's also is a, a great defensive mechanism for other organisms. Can plants live without of today? Can they, if you remove all the oxygen out of a box, but you give them water and light, will they still live? Yes, they so need carbon. They plant. need carbon dioxide, though. Oh, okay, so we couldn't just plant some stuff on Mars and let it grow, it won't grow. Uh, it's too cold and the atmosphere might be too thin, but um, people used to talk about seeding the atmosphere of Mars or not Mars, Venus with um, with uh, bacteria that you know that can you know algae into and yeah. to make Mars habitable but i think it's the atmosphere is too toxic for that but mars is is doable it's carbon dioxide atmosphere um there's a series of books call about terraforming mars which i haven't read i have them is that what read. that is what is ter you always hear an alien and all that what is alien. Do you know what it's what is changing, terraforming it's changing the the planetary surface to make it it uh, habitable so there's a, a series of books called Red Mars, Green Mars, and Blue Mars, which is like a history of terraforming Mars. And they were very popular a couple decades ago. I have them. I haven't read them. I should read them. I should read them. Yeah. Uh, but it um, it's 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 just a way of it's changing the. So, so I don't know what they would do. I don't know what the process is on Mars. Part of it is you have to make the atmosphere thicker. In one of um, one of the scenarios is to take comets and uh, deflect them to dump lots of water into the Martian atmosphere to make, uh, Martian to crash onto the Mars to make the atmosphere thicker. So there's there's it's doable theoretically it's doable. Well, they had they we just launched we just hit an didn't we just hit an asteroid with some kind of craft yeah. to try to deflect it did it work i never i don't know I haven't, been, I haven't been following it either it's not making the news be interesting because that's uh and um nasa so what's has, going on with artemis we're NASA, not till november now yeah the dart yeah the dart mission nasa has uh had several reports on it i haven't read them but there is information and um i think the one of the telescopes the hubble took a picture of the impact so they have they have the data and the information on on how useful that would be, and they called it the first planetary defense test, planetary yeah. defense system.
first test of our planetary defense system. Uh, yeah, Artemis, they moved Artemis into the barn because of the hurricane. They make it before the hurricane hit. Which it was, didn't really hit on that side too much. They got a lot of rain Although, and there was enough wind. So the Artemis had a gust maximum of, I think, 62 knots. And that's 62 knots halfway up the, as measured halfway up the rocket. And they were actually getting gusting, I think, when the hurricane came through higher than that level. So moving it back to the barn was a good idea. They could have attempted to do a launch before the hurricane hit. The problem is if they had to scrub the launch, they wouldn't have had enough time to move the rocket into the barn. So I think they made a right decision. They moved it into the barn. They pushed it back to December, November. And they uh, they can do maintenance and checks and all that stuff in the barn, which is fine. Uh, the hurricane... It is what it is. They needed to get it. If they couldn't, if they couldn't guarantee a launch on that one day, if they had failed to get a launch on it, they didn't have enough time to get it into the barn before the hurricane hit. So they did. They made the right decision, and now they can do more checks. They can check the fueling system. There's like batteries that I don't think it's a problem, but there's batteries that are supposed to be um, fully functional. They're the the emergency abort system batteries that have a certain criteria for functionality and they the uh, organization that's in the launch there's the launch safety organization ha had granted the artemis locket rocket locket rocket and extension on this these batteries i think the batteries are, are rated for 20 days and but they can of course they can go longer and they had granted them an ex exemption on the 20 day rule for the launch windows that were coming up but now that what they can do is once it's back if they need to they can change these batteries out it's it's a good thing so we'll see we'll see how it goes but yeah i'm disappointed they didn't like roll it out and launch it right away but i can wait till november i'd rather see well, a successful launch than a than an unsuccessful launch well, it takes three days to get it back in the barn right I mean, yeah slow they may have <laughs> so they may they have, make a decision. It's a big rocket. They may have yeah. taken they may have taken a they they did like an expedited expedited rollback. So I think they were able to do it in like two and a half days. So Ooh, yeah. You ever seen that thing it rides on? It's that yeah. crawler yeah. thing. It's bizarre. Like I actually I actually wonder about how much damage that thing takes when they launch it. So that's a, yeah. something I'm curious about. I just redo it. They'll use their surplus parts and put it back together yeah. they got an old one in the young, old one you know just back so, somewhere on the, in the property they, that they just they, scavenge they might, for parts and put it back together they might have two of know, them and they just rotate them repair and rotate to, you know it's probably a, you used to be the atlas five you know gemini base. gemini, <laughs> gemini. <laughs> So let's circle back one. around to the Trinity UFO crash. It's a, it's the traditional. It crashed. It had the metal that got you could bend it like a cigarette. They said like a cigarette pack, and it the, would the spring back together. Excuse me, spring apart, not crease, and that kind Crump, of thing. Crumple and it. Then, like, you could crumple it, and you released it, and it just unfolded to like yeah. it was. Now the book. So it looks like. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Oh, the book was saying I was, you know, reading in the book, and they they. The, um, this woman that wrote the book with Paolo Leopisa Harris, she spent a lot of time 
questioning and interrogating these guys. And um, coming back at them, she was saying that the um, this picture in the article that from the Mountain Mail shows like a, a tear in the spacecraft. And what they're saying from under the questioning, the, the guy was saying it was more like a panel had blown out. So it's not like a rip in it. It's like they, it hit a, um, they call it a Marconi tower, a radio tower. Yeah. And then, uh, and it caused the, the kid, one of the kids, I think it's Remy or Baca. I think it's Baca, the younger guy. So he, he was saying that the, he, it looked like the, it hit the tower and it caused this panel to blow out. And it's not like a tear, but it's like a square or, you know, a shaped panel to blew out, exploded out from the, the craft. And they don't yeah. know what happened to that. And then the craft crashed. And then the, the creatures are running around making noises like uh, injured rabbits and teleporting back and forth or whatever they were doing. And, um, so that the rip and the tear, but there was debris because the uh, army guys. And it's a weird, it's a weird story because they they saw the wreck. They came back and they told their dad, and then like two days later, uh, the the one of the local cops and their dad and them went to explore the wreck. And when it got to the wreck, they didn't see it because it had been covered with brush and the area had been like raked. Yeah, they raked it, the debris and there wasn't any debris around. Yeah. But the kids saw, was it after that, that the kids saw the guys, the, the military was there, they got there to pick up this craft, right? And they were kicking the debris in a crevice yeah. and burying it Well, because they a... didn't want to carry it away, they were too lazy or whatever. And then a then a few days later, the um, a um, Hispanic sergeant showed up to ask if they could go on their land and build a fence to drive the trucks through for the recovery. Yeah. They had to grade a road, build a yeah. fence, and they said, "How come you can't use our gate?" And they go, "Yeah, it's not big enough. It, <laughs> we got to do something bigger." Yeah, it needed to be a twenty-six foot. It was twenty-six feet wide, the gate that the army put in, and. Um, you know how you can't even drive. You would have to take up the whole road. Where are they taking that thing? He's also you know, they yeah, put the I don't know. saucer on a twenty-six foot wide truck. I mean, that's that's. Yeah. I mean, and, you'd have to do in the middle of the night, I guess, and close the roads. It, well, I mean, how would you transport it? They tr they put it on a uh, low boy, put it on a low yeah. boy, and they um. They, he said they had to cant it. The kids were saying these two kids when they saw it said they had to cant it. Because there was an overpass it had to get out, uh, go under. So they had to cant the um, the craft so it was low enough to go under the under overpass, and um, covered it with a covered it with a tarp. Yeah, and the kids I mean, used used to go out and spy on the soldiers. And he said they they had a tent out there and they would listen to music, and they go into town to try and pick up on girls. That cafe is still there. We should go to that cafe. <laughs> And yes, um, we should. And his, he said, when they got his dad and the copper, when they went out there, went inside it, went inside the crowd. Oh, really? And, yeah. Oh, that's from the book, right? Because that's not in the article. Yeah. And they, they said, his, the dad and the copper, they went in the craft and they told the kids to stay out. And uh, 
the the dad also the dad worked for the army and he told him he said don't told the kids don't talk about this because they, they yeah. thought it was they thought it was some sort of uh, top secret craft or something and oh and one of the kids um can't remember it was an aunt or a mom or something when the trinity bomb went off because where this people lived the flash woke him up and the mom peeked out of a crack on the house when the bomb went off and it blinded permanently blinded her in one eye oh that's amazing yeah yeah and uh so it's a it's an interesting area, and I couldn't find. And I spent a lot of time digging through the book because there's a list in the book of the crashes, the UFO crashes that happened in this area, or supposedly happened in this area. Well, Aztec was there's like three of them in Aztec, weren't there? There's a bunch, time. but yeah, I I will find that list and I will. Yeah, we'll go. Over I will. That. I will. We will go over that next week. But I, I, you know, you saw me sitting here digging through the book, and I didn't bookmark the list, which is just dumb. Uh, and I couldn't find it. And of course, you know, when you're trying to find it in a hurry, you can't find it. Uh, so, so it just intrigues me, and I don't know if the book touched on this about when they buried the the debris um, because they didn't want to carry all the debris out or something. So they put it in a crevice and just put dirt and brush over it. Was there anything in the book about that? Yeah, there is. And what happened is that they came in, there's a dam, a flood control dam in that area. And that crevice, the, the, the guys have gone out back later, decades later, and, um, the crevice has been filled and graded over. So where they were kicking the debris is, under 10 feet or some 20 feet of dirt now because they came in they graded it and they put a dam in what was also interesting is um when valley went out there to look at it the spot where these guys said the craft had landed somebody planted a bunch of bunch of nox noxious plants oh, and really? yeah and they're there if you touch them they'll cause like skin irritation there's two different plants were planted and they're growing right where the craft supposedly landed that's and Valley was speculating that somebody came out there and planted these things to prevent people from digging up the area. Yeah. And um, what else was he saying? Yeah, because I looked at the yeah. had a milepost sign and that kind yeah. of thing. I'm like, man, you could probably find this place. Yeah. But, you know, if it's under 10 feet of dirt, then you'd take an excavator to get anything out of it. But I'm surprised. Well, well, Valley went. You there. or I would have saw this. We'd have went and dug up the stuff. Yeah, Valley went out. <laughs> Valley went out there with the idea with uh, metal detectors and and the whole thing. I haven't finished the 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 book, but they went out there. I think a couple times to explore the site, and they didn't they didn't find anything. And then the kids yes. said that they went into the craft and tore a um, with a the, one of the kids, the older kid, I guess, grabbed a. Um, not a crowbar, but it's one of those bars that they use on um, when you chain. Oh, you know the the when you you chain something down onto like a low boy, it's got like a ratchet system, and you yeah. you take the bar and you ratchet yeah, in the, the strap. Yeah, the strap. So he took yeah, one of those bars, bar. went into the craft, and he knocked this um, thing off the wall. And the problem is, is the picture of the thing. It just looks like a aluminum cast fitting and the only thing they could find that it resembled was um a part from a wind wind vane windmill oh really 
and they think it might have been um, from the Marconi Tower, which had a um, um, generator on it to power something on the Marconi oh, so Tower. So it was an alien. It was part of what they hit. This is what Valley is speculating because, and they the, these guys kept the uh, part, and one of the kids had it, and then the other kid got. Uh, but the army showed up after the army had come in, and these guys had had cleaned the area out, and they came up and they asked to search these people's homes, looking for, I guess, material, and they let them do it. So one of the kids had this this thing. He called it his tesoro, his treasure in Spanish. And he, um, the other kid buried it in, um, took it because they were, the army was searching for it, buried it in one of their sheds. And the shed was also used as a, like temporary housing for, um, uh, farm workers, basically people that, people that would come and do stuff. And there was a guy, I don't know if it was a shepherd that was staying on their ranch and he was sleeping in this shed and he had nightmares and said that these creatures had come in and were asking for their uh, their tesoro or something. And he was totally, the guy was freaked out, woke up, and was getting ready to shoot somebody. Oh, wow. And, and so that's that's a strange story. But the, the kid had buried this this thing from the, that he took out of the craft in the shed. And they still, and the guy still had it. So the guy, the guy went to uh, move to Washington State, took it with him, kept it all this time, and uh, Valley is actually they've actually taken pieces from it and tested it. So it's it's not conclusive at this point, and the the aluminum piece looks like it is just a sand cast aluminum something. And like I said, Valley was speculating that it was um, it might have been from the Marconi windmill and got put in the the craft by one of the GIs when they're cleaning up the area with the stuff that they weren't kicking in the ditch and burying covering with stuff right but, but yeah it's a it's a great story the um the kids spied on the um the GIs when they're staying there and cleaning it up and were able to watch them yeah it's an amazing story yeah, i mean it's a- and typical I'm, i mean like i said i was looking at the mile post i was trying to look it up well man you could just go there i didn't know that it was under i just imagine that they kicked it in a crevice and kicked dirt and brush on you could just go get the you know yeah. valley and palo would have already thought of that palo yeah they did that so this one says in the article here it also says maybe this was the list yeah that's why i couldn't see it this was the list god i'm a nut so it's from it's in the article. It's not in the book, and I marked it. So yeah, great, good, good me. Uh, from 1946 through 1949, 25 UFO sightings that may have contained extraterrestrial life were reported worldwide by the Center for the Study of Extraterrestrial Intelligence. I've never even heard of that. Of those, this is the list. Of those, seven came from New Mexico including one near Magdalena, 1946, Socorro, 1947. That was, that was the one where Zamora had seen um, the craft land and take off, and it left burn marks and things. And oh, yeah. Zamora, I mean, this, in this area, Zamora is, I think, distantly related to these guys. So because it's, you know, it's a rural New Mexico 
community. Roswell, actually near Cor Corona, July 4th, 1947. Plains of St. Aug Augustine, Catron County, July 5th, 1947. Aztec, 1948. White Sands, 1949. And Roswell again, 1949. Another was the pattern two on the Hopi Reservation of Arizona in 1947. So this area had a lot of, of potential UFO crashes. This is a list I couldn't find because I'm wiped out from yesterday. That's crazy. That crazy yeah. amount. Yeah. I've never even heard of this. I've got to look this place up. Center for the Study of Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Cool. And then uh, I should say Valley, he's 80. He's 80 years old, was going out there and investigating this stuff. This book's two years old. So did I wow. send it to you? Did I send you a copy? Which one is it? Uh, it's not a hard, it would be an e-book. I might have sent you a, a copy of an yeah, e-book. Yeah, maybe. What's it called? Uh, Trinity, The Best Kept Secret. Oh. I'll have to so look. Yeah, I if, think you did. I had to download it. I had to download some weird format. Uh, it's EPUB. It'll work on your iPad. Yeah, it. I was able to convert it. Okay. Um. Wow, that's amazing. So you yeah. got anything else on this? Or, uh, yeah, let me take... Your tip, it's a bit, but, so these guys... Know, they... Well, one, one of the interesting things is this one of the guys, the younger guy, joined the New Mexico Reserves National Guard when he was 13. No, 13? Yeah. They allow that? Yeah. Or they, they say he was 18? No, they allowed 13 because the National Guard was so decimated from World War II. Yeah. They allowed him to join the, uh, I think this is the guy that became the cop later. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, they allowed him to join the National Guard at 13, and he was uh, doing guard duty. That might even be in here. Um, oh, yeah, here. Uh, 1936, National Guard. Jose Padilla was born in San Antonio, November 1936. While at Socorro High, he left to join the National Guard at age 13 when very young children were allowed to sign up because of the World War II death toll in the New Mexico Guard. Wow. Yeah. That's and crazy. He actually became a, uh, was a uh, safety inspector for the California Highway Patrol and actually was shot once while, while he was a highway, highway patrolman. Well, that's nice. Yeah. He, uh, they were, when they were interviewing him for the book, he was being evaluated because he still had a slug in him. And the doctors were concerned, you know, about it causing problems, and they were thinking about removing it. And they decided not to. Decided to leave it alone, which is probably the best, best practice. Mm. Leave it alone, because at his age, the the I think the anesthetic is more of a problem than the surgery. Yeah. So. Well, then they had the story of they had pieces of this thing, and they used it to uh, remy. Use it to stop a leak in a brass pipe under a windmill the, at their house. The, the foil. He kept it yeah. for years. It was, um, he wrapped it on the threading for a fitting for the windmill. Wrapped it around the, the threading. And because he took the, um, he took the, the part, something had happened with the part and it needed to be welded. And so he took it somewhere to be welded. And the guy's like, it's brass. We can't weld brass. Yeah. So he took this foil and he wrapped it, I guess the the pieces and wrapped it to bind the pieces together and then put it into the the pump at the well 
windmill at the farm at the ranch and he said it worked for years and eventually you know they were gone and they moved and uh, the well got torn out or the the windmill got torn out and the parts gone piece of alien technology that yeah he's using. Wait, we can never we just can't get that piece <laughs> well he had someone else can't get that piece of alien technology we're just using it to repair windmills now yeah and put into the ground it worked well never it was to a great, be seen again it was a great thing to repair the um the windmill and he had someone else found a, another piece that they thought came from the the downed craft he a cousin or somebody had found it when he was riding the the ranch and he just thought it was scrap metal and threw it they i guess they had a scrap metal pile and he just threw it in the scrap metal pile and they're like he told um one of them about it and they're like it's and they're like it sounds like it was something from the craft from the crash wow but what i find interesting is that i think the army came in there and and camouflaged the wreck and raked the area and probably raked the area through crap into the the thing picked up pieces and threw it into the craft raked the area and then had then yeah. later came in so i'm curious on that now the book is going into more detail and i'll the next chapter in the book is uh, Wright Patterson Air Force Base. Ah, yeah, dun dun dun. Uh, dun 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 dun. We'll see what we'll see what's going on with that. Um, so we got we're gonna go for another ten minutes. Do we want to talk about the um, UFO lie from the New York Post? Yes, let's talk about the UFO lie. All well, sap I... or a tip, I should say, and that's what we're gonna call this episode. Is it all sap? Is it a tip? Is A-tip OSAP? Is OSAP A-tip? I mean, is Elizondo a liar? Is he telling the truth? What do I, you think? I'd, well, actually, I'd, the New York Post basement office episodes are excellent. And I've watched the next two, which talk about Skinwalker Ranch, which is which are very good. And it makes me want to read the book Skinwalkers from the Pentagon, which I have on uh, on my iPad. And I've been confused when I've been reading about OSAP and ATAP because I see these these different names and stuff. And this this um, YouTube video by the New York Post, they actually explain that because apparently it went out under a bunch of different names that were sort of related. And then they were talking about the confusion for when you the guy that does the Black Vault, the confusion for when you're requesting. Uh, documentation through the Freedom of Information Act, you have to use the right nomenclature, the right names. Yeah. Which doesn't matter because anything that could be, you know, the Freedom of Information Act is whatever they decide to release. And under under the um, executive order from Ronald Reagan, they can classify anything on the spot and then they can deny the existence of the document on the spot. So freedom of information, its teeth basically have been pulled by the executive order by Ronald Reagan. So ATIP and OSAP are essentially the same thing. ATIP was like a renaming, was it by Elizondo or somebody? Um, it was a nickname, they said. Yeah, it was and a we nickname. Don't know. Elizondo created the nickname and then gave himself the director title. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it was, went back and forth. <laughs> well... I think there's two different parts to the story. There's the uh, the money part that went to like uh, Bigelow and um, Skinwalker Ranch, and I'm my feeling at this point is that's just you know money wasted. 
Yeah, and that's what they were trying to cover up. Because and then Bigelow was a big contributor to Harry Reid. He didn't contribute that. Who much. in turn it, gave him funding for it was like a that they didn't like that, and they were trying to cover that up. I think he didn't give and Harry Reid that much money. I think Harry Reid. It's only liked, twenty grand. It wasn't that much. It was like twenty grand, but it's yeah. still it, it's the idea. I think it's Harry. The, the, I think Harry Reid is the principal, but I think Harry Reid was genuinely interested in having this stuff looked at. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, he got money from Bigelow. Yeah, he was friends with Bigelow. Um, but he didn't want to visit the ranch where the Dino uh, Beaver was. Dino Beaver. He didn't want to be uh, <laughs> the Dino Beaver. He, he was still he was still looking out for his reputation. He was still an active senator at the time. So yeah, uh, that's that's fine. And they talk about this guy, how put off, how put off, who did, uh, he was the, the guy, one of the guys who would like the stare at goats. Have you seen that movie? The guy, the stare at goats movie. It's also, oh a yeah. The men who stare at goats. goats. Yeah. I've read the yeah. book and I've read the book and I've, I've seen the movie. How put off is also a Scientologist and he's risen to the top level of Scientology. He's an OT seven, which is, oh, I can't remember what it is. Holy but, crap. Yeah, he's an OT seven really? in Scientology. Yeah, top of the top of the the whatever well, they do. It begs the question. I've heard this brought up before that you know all these sightings are paranormal. You know, are paranormal. We know that Stingerwalker Ranch is whatever it is, but they're paranormal. The, even the UFO sightings, they're thinking is some weird. You know, it's tying in somehow with paranormal activity. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I, uh, I mean, who knows? We, but we make you know, we make fun of of we make fun of skinwalker ranch but i do th still think i just you haven't seen it but i just watched that interview with uh travis taylor travis Travis taylor it's a good interview i mean i still think he's he talking about skinwalker how he, he does how he he does does and he say why i mean I'm, I'm gonna watch it anyway but i just give me the get, clue me in he, does he is he still supporting skinwalkers he's still supporting skinwalker um he, he's i think he's I, I think he's genuinely honest in trying to figure what something if something's going on out here. I mean, we complain about the the holes and the logic and the experimental stuff, the reality and, and the reality of, of the thing. But you know, I he has seen anything. You know, there isn't any legitimate anything. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Um, There's nothing at all. I mean, I'm sorry. It just doesn't. It's they, Oak Island with UFOs. It is. They're going to go years. They're going to be. They're going to milk this thing for years. They're filming season you know? four right now. And, and who's watching it? Us. Us. <laughs> I will watch it. I will We're watch. We're still it. watching it. Absolutely. Well, it's more interesting than Oak Island, where they find I found a button. <laughs> but he's. Uh, I think he's. He's genuinely. He's doing a decent job. And I mean, I wrote a defense of him at some point. If it gets too bad, I will read my defense of Travis Taylor. I think you should do it. I now almost, you, if I, I can, think yeah. you should do it, Bill. I, uh, I have a little fellow about. scientist, Travis. Fellow scientist. Travis I mean, Taylor. Travis Taylor. <laughs> he is an accomplished <laughs> he's an accomplished person. I mean, you can't deny his accomplishments. And he's got he's, several degrees and they're legit because people say he doesn't have degrees. Yeah, I mean, it's I all know. provable, we know. That's stupid. You know, I don't deny him his degrees. I deny him his ability to be a scientist <laughs> and um, to, to solve he should know better than to do these carnival acts that he's doing at skinwalker it's an you know he should use an, you, you said yourself the science is it 
scientific well, he, process is not there for lack of whatever he, term you he, would use. He complained in his interview that people don't understand the scientific method. And I, um, I don't agree with that from what I'm seeing from the show. I'm not a scientist and I can tell it's garbage. You know, it's like, <laughs> He's, yeah, they're, they're, they're pushing the envelope of believability. It's, it's, but he does theatrics. He it's theatrics. It's an entertainment, but, um, and, and, and it's money. It's money. It's so always, always comes down to money. Um, yeah. I enjoy it. I mean, he's, he is an accomplished scientist. He does know what he's doing if he's allowed to do it. Uh, but he is, his hands are going to be tied because he's, he's part of the entertainment. He's so we yeah. don't know where he's coming from, how much he's, he, he does he, not have final say on the editing of the show or what gets presented. He's doing no more than le trying to legitimize the project to me. You know, this is, he is, he's in it. He is, it makes it, you know, it makes he, it seem he, real. He is there to legitimize it. Yeah. So, yeah. They, that's his role. But he, he should know better. I'm shame on him. <laughs> I don't, I, he should know better. I, There's um, been no Dino Beaver. I haven't I seen the Dino, Dino Beaver. Dino Beaver. <laughs> I do, I will continue to give him the benefit of the doubt um until next season and then we'll see but i am Look looking for checking account you'll see yeah, yeah, you'll see, <laughs> you'll see the reason that travis taylor is doing this travis 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 taylor i got my check i got my check i got my check shut up <laughs> so he's so anyway coming back to the uh ufo lie it it it's good the show is good because they they break it down to me, they broke it down to the point where uh, you have two different camps. You have Elizondo and Chris Mellon, and you have the uh, Lekatsky, so our Bigelow yes. camp. So you have the um, the what they call it the paranormal paranormal Disneyland component, which is yes. Skinwalker Ranch, and then you had sort of the breakout component, which was Elizondo and Mellon, and they are focusing on the documented anomalous phenomena that, that the military has seen. So I would say that Elizondo has done, um, a, and Mellon have done a service. So, so to break this out, get this taken seriously, it should be taken seriously. And the, um, the other stuff that looks like there's, and this comes out in the later videos done by the basement office, the, the problem with Skinwalker Ranch and all the money that they were throwing at it was, uh, the people working, Bigelow wasn't there. The s chief scientists that were involved weren't there. So you had a bunch of people running around at the thing and you got Bigelow going, I want results. So they found results for him. They saw, they had to give, justify their existence. So you got people, you know, whatever's going on. Uh, and it just bore, it just comes down to, um, you have to have good supervision, good supervision if you're going to do stuff like this, especially if you got, you know, an arrogant millionaire yelling at people, telling them that they got to have results or everyone's going to be fired. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I could picture and, him doing that too. Yeah. And if you want to have a, if you're working there and you're getting good pay and it's a good gig, uh, you're going to get results. People are going to say, Oh, I saw this and it looked unusual. And, and I think they're just milking, they're milking the cash flow. You know, what, what's interesting is, Bigelow, after he backs out of everything now, recently, and I don't know how recently this is, but I've 
you and I have seen it where he all of a sudden is trying to find his dead relatives through paranoia. And he's had a lot of tragedy, a lot of tragedy uh, in yeah, his life. Yeah, it's, it's like, he's not. It's and not uh, he's trying to trying to resurrect these dead relatives through paranormal means. And I'm wondering, as I watched this, if there's some tie-in. Yeah, Skinwalker, and Bigelow, this? paranormal, dead relatives. I don't know. I was, you know, well, trying the, to find the weird tie-in. The Puthoff thing adds another element to that. And I've actually started reading a, a, some alternative books. And I meant to have them over here, but I, I don't have them. But I'll talk about it next time. Uh, my impression is, I don't know, Puthoff is sort of out there. And the associates with him are, you know, they're staring at goats trying to kill goats. Yeah. Sort of, sort of people. So they're, so, they're out there. Scientology OT seven, you know the guys. Yeah. The guys on another planet. Uh, yep. The so that that yeah. brings in an end. They're also associated with like the CIA and stuff like that. And Chris Leto and his his um, he did a great interview recently uh, with this uh, woman professor that's a religious studies person, and she wrote a book about uh, UFOs, which I picked up. I'm going to read, and she. He's like, he looks at Puthoff and some of these people and he says, they're all tied in with the CIA. So, but you, I think, I mean, Elizondo, I think has ties in with the CIA through his dad and of course through his work. Uh, but that's, that Puthoff is a whole nother case and scenario. That's just, that's out there. Elizondo and Mellon, I think were genuinely trying to, get some traction on the anomalous phenomena, the flying phenomena. So that's, that's well, a they whole... made it sound like Elizondo was involved. He wasn't the director, but he was involved in delving in the UFO aspect from the outside almost. Yeah. And, the, and since there was, um, since there was no funding, he was, he was allowed. I mean, this, a lot of organizations do this. He was, he was director of ATIP and it's a non, is, isn't real. Yeah, well, it's as, all it's, as, real. it's as and real it's as you not. want it to be. And any organization, especially a non-funded program, you can name it whatever you want and you can be director. And he was granted yeah. permission to do this as long as it didn't interfere yeah. with his other duties. He said, okay. James Latasky was the actual director of OSAP, right? It was OSAP, but he was gone at some point. And Elizondo was brought in to do, you know, sort of to do, he said, security and... Um, counter ops or counterintelligence and security yeah and then once like 12 elizondo took over for him to 17 when he resigned yeah so he he but he had his other duties and then he had um this side job now a lot of government agencies universities do this you are allowed to do independent projects so it's an unfunded independent project within the pentagon and elizondo i would say was definitely the director of this it was not an official project. It was not a funded project. So it is true when the Pentagon says he was not the director of ASOP. And that's he, true. That is true. But he was director of an unfunded project, which was ATIP. And he has he was granted permission to work on this project as long as it did not interfere with his other duties. So you can't, I mean, you, it's, it's splitting hairs. 
corporations. Yeah, well, with their, yeah, go on. They're looking for information on ATIP, then you get denied because they're like, there is no ATIP. Yeah, but I if mean, you look for OSAP, yeah, and then it links into Latasky. Well, you know, of course, Elizondo sued with through the Inspector General. I don't know what the results of that was. I think well, they're still they're sticking to their guns that he wasn't involved. I think. Yeah, well, that the suit I think is more. It's to protect his reputation, and it's to protect his is probably protect his uh, security clearance, his security clearance, and probably his pension. So he's right. he has he's doing that because there are people obviously in the Pentagon that want to um, that are pushing back on what he's done. And one of the things I don't think there are people that are happy about the release of these videos. And I'm sure yeah, it was people... done. On, it was unauthorized. And I'm so his pension's at risk anyway. I think because he's done some weird shit. Yeah, I think he's okay. But the um, yeah, the yeah, but I think <laughs> I think the 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 thing that he's filed with the IG is preemptive to prevent further um, pushback by the Pentagon at his yeah. pension at his security clearance. And it's just yeah. push. They are pushing at him. He's pushing back a little bit. Now the problem, his problem, and is he sent these videos to Chris Mellon. the The videos were not uh, classified, but they were not authorized for release to the general public, and that's well documented. And there's a video of him when he was asked about sending these these videos, and he got really embarrassed about it. So he screwed up. That's a big screw up on his part. And it's well documented that Chris Mellon got these videos from him. Now, Elizondo did not release the, the, the videos to the public. Mellon did that. And Mellon has said that he did this. So there can be, there can be a backlash to Elizondo because of this release, because he gave them to, to Mellon. But then Mellon was, Mellon was a big shot at the Pentagon and Mellon could, um, could rightfully have access to these documents. So you can't say that Elizondo necessarily did anything wrong. His mistake, he made a, may have technically made a mistake, but technically he didn't do anything wrong. So, well, and Mellon. Giving them to Mellon is just like giving them to the public. They're one and the same. You, well, you, but, you know, but, but Mellon was an associate assistant, di- assistant uh, something. At the, he was a big wig at the Pentagon. And he's, yeah, he's sure. heavily connected yeah. and he's not, they're not going to do anything to Mellon. They're not going to touch he's him. He's rich anyway. You can't, can't he give a shit. Care. Yeah. They're not going <laughs> to touch him. He's too well whatever. connected. I've got my own money. So Elizondo's on the hook for this release, but he's not the bad yeah. guy in the release. Mellon is, but Mellon's nothing's going to come back. So the only, it's like the, um, you know, that aircraft, the aircraft carrier that burnt down in San Diego. Remember that was yeah. in the news yeah. a few years ago. So, that was a disaster because the port captain, this is so funny. They didn't never train anybody on firefighting. Well, this for this aircraft carrier, aircraft carrier catches on fire. The port captain is fighting with the ship's captain about who's responsible for fighting the fire. So that was a, that was a mess. They hadn't had anybody trained to fight the fire and the aircraft carrier burnt down and is a total loss. An aircraft carrier burnt down is a total yeah. loss. So Here's they got some... Books. Yeah, they got some schwabby that they decide is is responsible. They got to blame somebody. So this guy, this kid, they just put him on trial. He was found not guilty. And this is a military trial. And a military yeah. trial are ruthless for for how they treat people. 
And the uh, captain in charge of this military trial said he's, there's no evidence that this guy started the, the uh, fire. So the, the bigwigs at the Pentagon and the Navy were looking for a scapegoat for why this aircraft carrier burnt down and they tried to pin it on this kid. And that's the problem. That's what Elizondo's problem is, is people may be upset at the release of these videos and they feel they got to pin it on somebody. And he's blame. the it's all blame. about blame, man. Yeah, he's the fall guy, and that's why he that's why he needs to be careful because they're looking for a yeah. fall guy, and and these people hold grudges forever. So, yeah, that's <laughs> swabby. And the, the the thing is, is, the other guy that they think actually may have lit the fire has already been discharged, and the Navy's like, oh, we don't have any we don't have any authority to pursue charges against him because he was discharged. He's a civilian now. Yeah, I mean it's crazy. So yeah, they had to pin it. They they you know when the the bigwigs screw up or when there's a screw up, and the release of these documents, I'm sure there's people view it as a screw up. They got to scapegoat it because you know when something like this happens, ultimately what it should happen is that the people at higher levels are responsible for when this happens, and they should take responsibility. But nobody does anymore. So, well, you know, the genie's already out of the bottle, so it really doesn't matter who you want to blame. It's already out there. So, yeah. yeah, and I know, don't know. It doesn't really matter who's the blame. It's done. And it's and who knows? There's so many chiefs at the the Pentagon. You don't know what's you don't know what's going on with anything. Yep. So. So yeah, Steve is sending. Oh, oh, God. <clears throat> Oh my God, this is terrible. Yeah. Too, oh, that's so offensive. I'm gonna have to. Oh, report. I see that. <laughs> All right, you ready to wrap it up? Let's wrap it up. All right. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of the Alien Probe Podcast. We welcome comments, questions, or requests to alienprobepodcast at gmail dot com. Visit us on Facebook. Check out our website and all of our episodes on alienprobe.net. You can find us on all podcast platforms. Check out Twitter and Instagram at Alien Pro Pod. Like and smash that subscribe and like button on YouTube at Alien Pro Podcast. Put an Alien Pro Podcast and it'll bring it right up to the top. Thanks to our senior producer, the traveling Robert Anthony. We got a really nice, nice picture of Robert and his uh, exploits in um, Saigon. And uh, thanks again, Dr. Bill. Appreciate it. Okay. Watch the skies. Watch the skies. <laughs> <laughs>